all the way from Austin, Texas. Actor, writer, filmmaker, Mr. Turk Pepkin. Next on the Dusty Wright Show. Today's show is brought to you by our friends from Podkai. For all of your web hosting needs, visit podkive.com. Joining me today on the Dusty Wright Show, friend, humanitarian, filmmaker, writer, director, actor, Renaissance dude from Austin, Turk Pipkin. You know, the whole Renaissance dude thing scares me. Does that mean I'm going to get black plague and die screaming? <laughs> I, I hope not, man. I hope none of us do. Turk, last time we spoke, uh, you were you were just finishing up and you were getting your screenings on for Nobility. Uh, this is the sequel. This is one piece at a time. I made Nobility, which is a look at the world's problems through the eyes of a nine Nobel laureates. And no sooner had I begun to show the movie than everybody watched it said, I love it, dude. Now, what do I do? Hey, and, right. and the answer to what do I do was three more years shooting one piece at a time. Now, uh, for those of... Those listeners who are listening to this did, haven't listened to the Nobility interview that we did, and I would encourage you to give them just a quick uh, backstory on how that project came together, because that's a fascinating project as well. Well, it's uh, my idea was in this divisive world we live in, um, you know, it's all about the walls and the fences, and uh, why not go talk to the smartest people on earth and, and ask them what they think about what's going on in the world and. And, uh, you know, I'm more or less doing this from the point of view of a parent. What kind of world are my kids going to know and their kids going to know? And um, so I ended up with a great bunch of amazing people, all Nobel laureates, uh, some of them Peace Prize winners and a lot of them in sciences, which is a, a, turns out to be a good viewpoint, too. Desmond Tutu uh, is pretty amazing in the film. Jody Williams from the Landmine Campaign. And uh, Rick Smalley and Joseph Rotblatt, uh, two amazing people who are no longer with us, last uh, interviews they ever filmed. So um, it, uh, it's an illuminating film. Everybody who sees it says, how can the, all those people who deal with such big problems be so optimistic? And, um, and the answer is, yeah, it's a messed up world and we have ways to deal with it. We're just not very good at deciding to do it. What was it? Uh, what was that drew you into this world of filmmaking? You know, you, you were a successful actor. Uh, you lived in L.A. for a while. Was it when you moved, returned to Austin, that you felt like you needed to well, be re-inspired? I was a successful actor, and and that gave me an advantage. Sopranos, in particular, even though I play a small recurring part in the Sopranos, but if you're that idiot narcoleptic guy on the Sopranos, you. Still don't ever have to buy a drink in New York. so. Um, but that put me in a position of actually having people coming to me and saying, hey, we want to do something with you. You know, What do you want to make? What would you really like to do? And, and that's a position I'd wanted to be in for a long time. What I didn't want to do is keep writing network television that I didn't like, which I've been doing for many, many years to pay the bills. And uh, so the conclusion was, okay, why don't I just never make anything I don't want to make anymore? Don't make anything for money and just try to make something I believe in and see if that'll, if I could still pay the bills. <laughs> and um, I had no intention of founding a big education nonprofit. I just was going to make one movie one that was time. really about something. And all the other life is gone now. Yeah. 
it, uh, this is what I do. And the, the Nobility led to the Nobility Project, our big education nonprofit. And, and it's N-O-B-E-L-I-T-Y dot org. As in Nobel. Nobel, right. Uh, well, you know, I think at some point in every man's life, they say, what's my legacy? And you've decided your legacy is, is leaning towards this now and, and really giving back. And, and whether it'll be a legacy or not, I think remains to be uh, remains to be seen. But it um, it's a legacy in some ways. I mean, one of the great things about it is we're a nonprofit that produces feature films and short films. We have a big outreach to schools, and so we're trying to motivate young people, anybody, to be involved in the issues that are going to shape their future. Well, you can't ask other people to do something unless you're doing something yourself. So. We, if nothing else, we have a legacy in the projects that we're involved in around the world. We've drilled, we've done a lot of water wells in Ethiopia with A Glimmer of Hope, who's in the new movie. And we've had projects on several continents, but uh, this year and the last two years, we've really been working a lot in Kenya. And right now we're building a high school. So, you know, if nobody sees the film, the well, film... Well, that's, that's an enduring legacy. Though, yeah. If, you're being modest. If, well, if no one sees the film, the film still got this high school built because enough people have seen it to say, okay, I'm in. Right. And... Um, and it's Mahiga Hope High School, and I hope it will be the first of many Hope High Schools. We're now talking, you know, we're looking at a lot of other countries and talking about replicating this model. Now talk about, you, you, you've gone here one piece at a time, P-E-A-C-E. Mm -hmm. you're, you're giving some answers to the questions or the solutions posed by these Nobel laureates on what you can do on a very small level with uh, little elbow grease and community outreach. Uh, what's the reception been so far? Well, the reception has been great, actually. We, um, we've only screened, really, a few times, but um, we had uh, 1,100 people sold out standing room only in Austin for our world premiere, and uh, everybody there jumped up and said, how do I connect with every one of these groups? How do I get involved? And that's how we're building this high school. We had 3,000 at the Maui Film Festival. We won the DAC Award. Willie Nelson opened for the movie. And Willie Nelson's in the movie. Uh, you know, the amazing <laughs> thing is, name even with... you got to call your friends at Detest. Yeah. That's great. Why not? But even with Muhammad Yunus and Steve Chu, our Secretary of Energy, and all these other amazing people in the movie, Willie comes pretty close to stealing the whole thing. He, he is the grand larcenist. <laughs> I say, well, it's just, you know, we're, we're enamored with celebrities, and we're enamored with people who are true, um, truly unique and dedicated to their view. Yeah, that, that's exactly... And, and, yeah, and that's what Willie is. He's never he's never wavered from who he is as a human being. He, has, he could care less about whether it sells records. He, he's not, he is miles from this model of, well, I'm a, rec I'm a superstar and I'll spend three years building the right record, release at the right time. And he releases, you know, eight records a year, 12, it doesn't matter. Right. He, you know, as he says, I'm just going to record with everybody I want to record with and the rest will work its way out. Right. And, but it's the same thing when you talk to him about peace issues, which he's very involved in, and about doing the right thing, which is essentially what this, his role is in this movie, and about making choices in our lives. And he, he doesn't care whether anybody likes what he says or not. He just says what he believes, and he's a person who spent a long time thinking about what he believes. So, Is he a better golfer than you? Uh, we, you know, we've had a, we've had a long-running 30-year, long-standing golf match. The chess game, which is what we see in the movie, right. is actually probably more interesting because it is $100 every time you play. Really? You didn't actually see the 100 change hands. But right. I'll tell you what, chess with Willie at a, for 100 bucks is an intimidating game. He likes playing. 
And especially when you only have like $95 and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to tell him I don't have 100 <laughs> He's tough. He's really good. You know, do you think, uh, let's get back into the charity element and where we are as a people on a planet that you feel like the scales have been tipped so far over that there's no way to correct this these daunting issues that we've put they're all and that is exactly the way everyone feels but i think the truth of the matter is with the exception perhaps of the climate change and the environmental loss of biodiversity and some of the other environmental issues we're dealing with the scales really haven't been tipped that far over i mean if you look at the global global conflict and war we're not in any world wars i mean we spent much of the last century fighting world wars right now there was a lot of wars out there but they are regional and um, there's a lot less probably loss of life at this point in history due to human conflict as a you know as a total percentage of the world than there ever has been in the history of humankind. Um, it, it's you know the situation with a child dying of hunger every five seconds uh, around the world is absolutely mind blowing. But one of the reasons it's that way is because uh, there are so many kids in the world and the population is growing so fast. And one of it is because we've got a kind of an unbalanced economy. Mm-hmm. And we, we addressed that for a long time by thinking, let's grow a lot of food here and we'll just give it away. And um, then the giving it away, we'll be feeding kids and they'll be, you know, it'll drive our economy and, and we'll be taking care of them. Well, if you give food to Africa, all it does is destroy the people who grow food in Africa. The breadbasket of Africa is Africa, and you know the labor is there and the land is there, and there's actually water there if you do the right water solutions. We can grow all the food, or Africa can grow all the food it needs, but it needs a, f- a fair shake in making that happen. And so the solutions are there to these issues. I mean, that, that healthcare is there. Education, why are we building schools? Because education is ultimately the solution to all of this. And um, we could educate every child in the world for a fraction of what we spend on the military. Um, it costs a million dollars a year to keep a soldier in Iraq or Afghanistan. And so every That's time every time you send a soldier, you have to say, what could I do with that million dollars if I just sent one less or 10 less or a thousand less? You know, now we're, now we're at a billion. That's extraordinary. Just pull a company back and, you're, and you've got a billion dollars you could spend on education. You know, some people feel like with all the problems in the world, why don't we address those in America first? You know, America is actually the most charitable country in the world. People lose sight of that as well. We're always first to rescue these. We're the most charitable country in the world within our own nation, and we do a pretty good job as individuals uh, to the world as a whole, but as a uh, as a nation to the world as a whole, we're the we're at the absolute rock bottom in in global giving and global aid as per percentage of our gross domestic product. We're at the top 35 industrial nations. We are 35th in percentage of the money that we send overseas. And the perception of this country is that we're very high. That's made up for, to a certain extent, by when there's a tsunami, Americans respond in great ways. But it's really not about, on the whole, about responding to an emergency. The only thing we really see of the world is when there's a tsunami or a war. It's really about the ongoing, persistent lack of nutrition, lack of health care, lack of education. It's about can we provide basic rights for every child. But as far as addressing the problems in this country, problems in this country are, are, are very large. It's, it is definitely, you don't ever want to be addressing problems overseas to the detriment of addressing problems in this country, but we have a capability of addressing both. And right. recognizing, if you look at 
say, tribal conflict. We were in Kenya, and after the last election, we had a lot of tribal conflict, which made it tough to work there for a few months. Our school shut down for three months, and uh, we have everything back to, to, to normal now. But if you look at that in, as a whole, people in Kenya need to find a way to identify with themselves equally as being Kenyans as much as being members of an individual tribe. Well, if you take that to a larger scale, Americans, you know, we see ourselves as, you see yourself as a New Yorker, and you see yourself as an American, and uh, you know, you see yourself as a Yankee fan. There's a lot of ways to identify who you are, but as a human being, is who we are on the largest scale, and it's always taking that next step. As, that's where the real potential for what we were put on earth for is to realize that we really are, as Desmond Tutu says, we're all brothers and sisters. And the only thing that gets in the way of a better world is the fact that we just can't quite open our eyes to that. Mm, absolutely. We look at, you know, people in another country and say, you know, every, every generation is different. We look at communists, we look at Russians, we look at Muslims, we yeah, look at... The Turk, look, if you don't travel to these areas, you never make a connection. And Amer a lot of Americans, it's face when they travel, they're, they're in a little secluded native island resort. Do they get out and walk amongst the people to see how they live? Do they, you know, do they go to Ethiopia? Do they go to areas where they might be putting themselves in peril? Or they might be putting themselves in a position where they're going to be really reawakened spiritually, <laughs> ethically? Or, or just to meet someone as a human being and not, yeah. not a bellman, you know? Right. And um, Jody Williams, uh, the Peace Laureate, uh, Jody uh, talks about traveling overseas and she, you know, she says, you just stay with a family. That, you don't go and stay in the five-star resort, you stay in a family. But most people are not going to go stay with a family, and I've been having a dialogue with a lot of hotel chains about the idea of, you know, this eco-tours or green tours or green travel has been a big thing the last decade. But truthfully, people also would rather be just involved with local culture and local people or local school or an orphanage or anything else and really feel like they learned something on their trip or met somebody that they could share something with. Yeah. And so our, our feeling is, and we're lobbying for this idea pretty hard, is that every hotel around the world should have a school or some partner program or a community center or it's elder care, it's adult literacy, where when you go stay at the Four Seasons or any other hotel, you, you know, instead of going scuba diving one day, you go down and sit in a classroom with a bunch of preschool kids and read books. Mm. Plant a tree at their school and make a contribution to their library fund. That's and, great idea. Uh, and that's travel. Yeah. And you still get to sleep in a nice bed. Right. So the idea of just leaving your lap of luxury, even yeah. if it's for half a day, and just doing something charitable, or, or just observing the culture... Being part, being part of the local scene. Yeah, you can be part of the, the local scene and you can do the same thing where you live as well. I mean, connect to the people in your own community as right. well. Uh, the people I know that volunteer at food banks and Meals on Wheels and everywhere else are generally really happy people. And a lot of times when I, you know, it's a whole, we're not the happiest people in the world, I would say, in America. One thing that everyone says when they see our films and they see all of my footage with these millions of kids around the world and there are a lot of kids in my films and they all say how can they be so happy i can't smile that much even trying just forcing myself i just can't smile like that and they live in such hard conditions and they're so happy and i'm i think they're connected to their families and their friends and their community and the people around them they don't have any money they have huge challenges in their life and they need a better shake in life 
but they still have something at their core maybe that we give up. Mm. Sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, you know, I built this, I saw your movie, and I saw those people and they're sleeping in the same room with their kids or whatever, you know. I built this 9,000 square foot house and I thought it was going to be my dream come true, and now I never know where my kids are. That's it's, That stuff is crazy. And you know, we've lost touch with each other. <laughs> we, we've lost touch with our own friends. Yeah. Yeah. And it... Um, so I guess what we're trying to, what, by telling people about Kiva.org and making microloans or by playing freerice.com, which is a fabulous game where you can feed people around the right. world through the World Food Program, or talking about Meals on Wheels or solutions in this country, whatever it is, it's really about us. It's, it's about me, you know. Why am I building a school in Kenya? Is it, I love these kids and I love their parents and this family from Mahiga Hope High School, but it's really not about them. It's about what it does for me in my life to be a part of this school. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns out that the thing we need, and which is something I say in one piece at a time, the thing we need is the thing they need, and it's each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's easy to write a check to a charity, but uh, when you take that step into a situation where you're really helping somebody on the ground, and whether you went to New Orleans or if you play music in a nursing home, whatever it is, you know, making that connection is it really is it, that'll make your soul smile. It it will, and there's nothing wrong with writing a check to a, to a to a nonprofit uh, that's doing good work, especially one that's going to spend a very large part of that money on the ground with the community and not be spending it on you know fundraising or whatever. But um, that's a great thing to do. But it's great to do it at a level where you're really connected. It's like the Miracle Foundation is in the new film. We and I'm very closely involved in the Miracle Foundation builds and operates orphanages in India, and we sponsor a kid at an orphanage. I know a lot of kids who sponsor kids at orphanage, but the great thing about the Miracle Foundation is they encourage everyone who sponsors kids to go, and I go, and you know, every year or twice a year, I find a way, my work takes me overseas, but I get to India, and I go get to meet Srebeta and hang out with him and see this kid grow, and, and um, it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a second family, mm-hmm. and it's a lot cheaper than the family I have here. <laughs> Um, it, um, it, it's, I don't know, the Nobility Project is it's interesting. We connect to people on a personal level. And the kids in our school program, you know, school teachers who want to get our copy, our copy of our movies can go to nobility.org and they can sign up and we send them a copy of the movie for free. I mean, you can buy them online commercially, but we make movies and sell them commercially. And I guess we use the money to give the movies to schools and to create educational materials for the schools. And... Um, but it really is about a personal connection. It's not, you know, it's not really like building a, about building a big blind list that you can sort of go out to. The, ultimately, it, would, it should feel like, oh, I'm going to get a report on the Mahiga Hope High School. And you're waiting for that report to come in, which I'm very bad about doing. <laughs> well, now with the video uh, capabilities, you can do with them when you come back and you can post them you know, as you go. I do. Well, we have this series, Short Films, Big Changes. So every program we work with, there's a short film on our website that shows well, what it that's is. that's good because I think when people, some of the people that saw your movie the other night was like, wow, I don't know where to go, which organization. I said, well, go to the website because Turk really breaks it down for you. And, yeah. he, and he can take you down a tributary that maybe is more germane to what you're interested in. Nobility.org, yeah. and, uh, and you can go see more film. There's a very big laureate library Back in our story. short film series. Yeah. You can, or you can just go get connected to our partner groups and say, yeah, I like, I, what I want to do is be involved in water projects in Ethiopia, and, and now, boom, you're at a glimmer of hope, and, uh, and you're part of it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Is there a, a disconnect for some tr charity organizations? You read these stories every every so often where you know 80% of the charity money is spent on the administration of the charity. Well, and that's a that's a model that's rapidly. I think people caught on to that to that scam. And um, it um, you know is there a magic number? I don't know. But you, you know, in our case, we're trying to spend 85. We'd like to get it up to 90% of everything that comes in on direct program services. And that's pretty good. How are we able to do that? We're a small nonprofit, and I don't make any money. That's right. that's one way. And um, glimmer of hope, though, is a, is a, has worked with two and a half million Ethiopian people, and a hundred percent of everything that comes into right. Glimmer goes right onto the ground. And how are they able to do that? Because Don and Philip Berber, who founded the foundation, put seventy million dollars into it, and they both run it for free with no salary. And so that endowment does a lot of program services and covers all the basics. So if you give them $3,500 for a well, $3,500 is spent on the ground. That's 100%. It's kind of hard to beat. Right. In our case, we go out and look for matching money. So if somebody wants to give us, like right now we have this uh, Thousand Voices for Hope campaign to help build Mahiga Hope High School. We're looking for 1,000 people to donate $100. So the link's at novelty.org. But we have matching money already, so if you donate, if you're one of the thousand, you donate a hundred dollars, it becomes two hundred. Right. Uh, so that that kind of puts it over the top on, as far as is your money going to be spent well. Right. And how about um, the the guys from One.org? Well, One. Uh, how did you make that connection? You know, it was interesting. Uh, I made that I connection. Met both those gentlemen, really fascinating stories, backstories. The, the guys who came to our culture catch screening uh, from one are f fantastic. And but it, every city we go to, there's another big, amazing core group of one staffers and volunteers. Um, and you know, Bono's the founder of the One Campaign. And I met with uh, at dinner with David Lane last year and gave him a copy of the movie and just sort of one by one people at one watched one piece at a time <laughs> and uh, came back and said, "Wow, I love this movie. We want to we want to be a part of it because the movie is about how do we address extreme poverty in the world, essentially, and it's you know the rights of the child and that's where it comes from. But one and Bono are dedicated to addressing extreme poverty in the world, so we share the larger goal." Um, Connection with Bono was very helpful, yeah. and uh, nothing like a great photo with Bono, both good, both with the peace sign, and um, a little shout out from Bono at the Houston concert was pretty good. <laughs> and uh, so one is our, our national release partner now, so every time we open in a new city, like December 4 through 10, we open in Austin at the Regal uh, Arbor Cinema there, and so one is blasting out 50,000 emails. Right. Um, and you start talking about doing that in every city you go to. That's a that's a, that's a pretty voice. big leg up yeah. for an independent doc, and it's a tough world for independent docs right now. Well, I was going to say that is you know we talked off uh, Mike about that earlier and getting it to some of the channels on TV. It's hard because there, there are a lot of people competing in this space, and, and there are not a lot of uh, opportunities. And truthfully, if you take a movie that's you know this is not a long doc; it's less than ninety minutes. But if you take an, a, a, a ninety-minute movie. And you put it on television, and it's a film you really want to watch as a film. This right. is filmmaking, and there's an arc of a story. And you know, you may not have expected to see me break my leg in the Grand Canyon in this movie, but you get to anyway. <laughs> and um, <laughs> but there's an arc of the story that takes you. I mean, essentially, the viewer is me, and you're looking through. The reason I shoot these movies myself is because you're looking through my camera. I want you to be looking at these kids and these Nobel laureates and this great work. And you really do, I think, to a certain extent, become me. 
but that's harder in a television situation when the dog's running in the room and, yeah. and the phone's ringing and you're answering emails and you know we yeah. don't really watch TV very closely. We just watch no, we TV. Don't. We're too ADD now. And yeah. so ideally, it's a movie you see in a movie theater, you see on DVD. And uh, but television is where you can reach the larger audience. It's a it's a tough market, but the doc world right now, the independent cinema world right now, is in is absolutely Top in shambles. Yeah. And uh, finding a market means having somebody like one.org and it means finding a market from the ground up through culture catch is the way you find a market for a movie not yeah. by going out and advertising and doing a big campaign right our listeners tell their friends and etc it's all viral marketing as we say and as, as you said earlier in the interview in our last interview you know buy the movie or ask for the movie and screen it at your church your community center you have invite a group of friends you, into your house. You can actually, one piece at a time, you can sign up online to screen one piece at a time. Um, there's a link on our site, but it's Unity and Peace, and spelled out unityandpeace.org is a website that our distributor runs. It's entirely about wanting to screen the movie at your school or your church or your community center or even in your home. And it's, you fill out a form online. and uh, Boom, you get the movie. And they send you a copy of the DVD and you sell some tickets and you put the money into something good or you get the money back or you know it doesn't really matter the point is you get a bunch of people together you see the movie and you talk about what you want to do yeah, absolutely we had we had 25 kids from a homeless arts program in hollywood who came to our big red carpet premiere so we had these and all your buddies were these there. are young people and they're walking down the red carpet with matthew mcconaughey and billy bob thornton and there's 50 cameras taking pictures of them and I mean, these are 18 year old homeless kids who are dropouts and they're trying to get back into life through the arts so they come to the movie and they've got a big roped off section for them to sit in together and be VIPs at the screening they go to the movie after the screening's over these homeless kids get together and they say okay what are we going to do these are homeless kids so what they decided they were going to do is they went in the next day as a group and they signed up to serve meals at a soup kitchen on Thanksgiving day and uh, that was perhaps the most inspiring thing of all the great stuff that's come out of this movie is to see somebody who has absolutely nothing in this country and say, I want to go help other people. Right. And that's the message, really, is we can all lend each other a hand. And those kids' lives, I think, are changed in very great ways by the realize, them realizing that they're not the victims of their circumstances, that they are still in a position where there's great opportunity in the world and it's not too late for them to reach out. See, I like that optimism. I think that's what's missing in in, in our lives sometimes. You're right, you know. We just assume it's going to get worse as opposed to saying, well, let's let's just do it. Let's just fight these little battles ourselves. Let's affect some change. You know, when you talk about what education can do in the world, Joseph Mutangu, who's kind of at the end of this film, is my my friend and partner and got me into planting trees at the school in Kenya. And then we built a water system. Then we brought electricity. We built computer labs and classrooms. Now we're building a high school. So Joseph has been the really, he's the person that does this. I'm just the person who's privileged to, to, you know, find a way to make it happen from this side. But... Joseph was the, probably the only kid from this little village to go to high school for years and years and years. Well, it turns out, by co- pure coincidence, I know a director from London, Harry Hook, who grew up in Kenya. And Joseph worked for Harry's family, or Joseph's father worked for, for Harry's family. And Joseph went to school with Harry. And Harry's family one day said, you know, this kid Joseph is very smart. We should put him on scholarship and we should send him to Nairobi to go to high school. And they chose one kid. And they put him through high school. And when he was in high school, they said, you know, Joseph is very smart. He got a scholarship to go to England and go to college. And he became a naturalist. And when he went back to Kenya, he moved back to his hometown and has dedicated his life to 
building a decent school and bringing an education for these kids. And that's the value of building schools and education. Now, I, I've read, I, I forget who was telling me the other day in Detroit there's a, uh, an urban model they're trying. They're knocking down these old homes that are worth nothing and putting in parks and farms and everything. Yeah. Have you heard about this project? I have, and, and there's a, actually they're building some vertical farming in, in Detroit, right, which yeah. is very cool too. And you take an old building that's a tenement, you open up the sides, and you're growing in it at every level. Yeah. It's yeah. extraordinary what we can do. And that's not something that's that difficult or that costly. You know, you're just raising properties that are derelict buildings anyway. Raising them or converting them, uh, Cameron Sinclair and Architecture for Humanity are a big part of the movie, and Cameron's one of the very, the forefront of a globalist architectural discussion about whether we should be building any new buildings at all at this point, right. whether we should be repurposing the buildings that already exist, and can the world really you know, sustain the energy and the natural resources consumption to just keep building endlessly because it's monetarily profitable. Right. And, you know... You, you, there's a lot of ways at which businesses can succeed and people can have fulfilling lives and still make money. It's not like an anti-money idea. It's a long-term money idea. Right. The question is, it's the, the, long the, the businesses we're engaged in now and the way we, we look at, view, experience, and change the world, is it sustainable? And are our kids going to know the great life that we know and are their kids going to know and how many generations ahead can we think and right now we don't think a generation ahead we think about tomorrow well you know that's one of the one of my early uh, email signatures was an old Iroquois manifesto that said every decision you make should affect the next seven generations and I really think we've lost sight of that in a lot of our decision making on every level and uh it's not hard to implement. Well, if it's hard to look at the world as a whole, it's hard to look at the at the future as a whole. But the but the we have more knowledge at our disposal than we've ever had before, and it's right there. I mean, there's there's the internet. I just spoke at the TEDx conference with, and was uh, I followed William Kakwamba, this kid, the boy who built windmills, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and from Malawi and. Um, William, uh, he tells a really great story. He has a great book out right now called Boy Built Windmills. And William tells a great story about after he built this windmill based on a decaying book from a local library and started generating electricity in his in his hometown and then became relatively famous and built another windmill. And, and the first time he saw the Internet through a computer and someone says, do you know what Google is? And they showed him Google and you can search for anything. All the knowledge is in here. And he said, well, search for windmill. And they put in windmill, and you know, a million hits came up. And William said, "Google, where were you when I needed you?" <laughs> That's great. We've never had better access to no, knowledge or to resources, yeah. and we've never had people who are more willing and desirous of being involved with their fellow human beings. That's all actually pretty optimistic. Yeah, that is. Thank you for turning this into an optimistic discussion. Yeah. Now the climate change thing, we got to listen to Steve Chu. Yeah, so, absolutely. And, absolutely. Uh, we just have to, you know, we have to step up there too. That's the it's exactly the same thing. We have to and take you the right long... to your politicians and you got to say, "Hey guys, you know, don't let these lobby groups convince you otherwise." Let's take the long-term yeah. view and let's do what we can now to guarantee that the world is going to remain seven generations on. Seven generations on and have an economy that works for our kids, not just for us. Right. Turk, I know you have a plane to catch. I do. Uh, we'll see you at the next screening in New York. Please go to nobility.org. Uh, reach out to Turk. I'm sure he'll answer your email. He's, he's pretty good at it. And uh, if you have ideas or solutions that you want to discuss with Turk, I'm sure he'd be uh, 
open to those ideas as well. Also, to any way that any suggestions on how I can get more than three hours of sleep a night and catch up <laughs> and keep up with all this. No, it's great. We we'd love to reach out with new people. It's fantastic. Good deal. Thanks, Turk. Dusty, right here. We'll see you soon. Thank you. hope you enjoyed my interview with Mr. Turk Pipkin. Look for the new DustyWright.com website in 2010, where I will continue smart culture conversations with people in all areas of the arts. Till then, converge is the word.